in one... What's going on, everybody? I am Justin, here with Pat, and we are here on the second episode of Recalling Saul, a recap show based on AMC's Better Call Saul, as you already know, a prequel to Breaking Bad, starring Bob Odenkirk. Man, man oh man, episode, episode two. Pat, how'd you feel about it? A really good Saul episode. Oh, I'm sorry, it's not episode two. I'm episode wilding. Three. It's, episode three. It's episode three. It's episode two of us, episode three yeah, of them. It's, it's, see, I, I, that, this happened to me uh, at least, I think it happened to me twice on uh, when I was doing Cable Box. <laughs> so we are back uh, in the world of Breaking Bad here. Last week, we, 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 we kind of made headway uh, on the show. We, we talked about the background of Better Call Saul. Uh, we, we, we talked about what was going on in, in the first two episodes, really getting, really getting to the point. This episode is a little more subdued, a little more taken taken back, a little bit more, you know, uh, slower, if you will, from the from the first two. Would you say? I would say, yeah, it's slower, and it uh, it started off very slow, if you know what I mean. Yes, absolutely. Um, but before we get into the episode, I I really think I want to I want to touch on the the wonderful cinematography of this show once again. Can we can we talk about how great it is to have a show on TV where you know a lot of shows they don't look the they don't look as though like they put the money on the screen so to speak. Better Call Saul puts the money on the screen, right? Oh yeah, I mean it's uh it, it's weird because it is it's different than Breaking Bad. It's designed fantastically uh in that it is so clearly in the world of Breaking Bad. But it has uh, a palette and a mood that is much more its own, or not much more its own, just its own. Yeah, uh, it's a little more colorful, uh, both in terms of character, because there are just more characters than there really ever were on Breaking Bad, and uh, it, you know, it's it, the show itself is a little bit like uh, Saul Goodman's Suits. Very all over and, the place. Yeah, and and like uh, these random colors that should be kind of gross, but actually work very well together, uh, depending on how you look at it. Uh, but the camera work on the show is really good. They do so many shots where you're looking at it and you're like, "What is this? Why did they place this here?" Uh, but on any other show, you would think that, and then think like, "Oh, because they don't really." have anything else to say it's just like magic tricks but here it's or or like smoke and mirrors but here it's smoke and mirrors in a way that like amounts to an actual trick where you know it what for the amount some a camera on something and you'll be like oh yeah okay uh i'm I'm into this i mean even the uh they they did the thing in the second episode where i know we're talking about the third episode but in the second episode where um i think it was the third episode where they're 
it looks like Jimmy is like walking, but then they show him and he's actually on, he's like riding on something. The belt. Yeah. Yeah, belt. And that looks like, uh, when they did that, it was a little bit like, uh, it's the Scorsese thing, I think, or no, the Spike Lee thing. Sorry. Spike Lee. Yeah. Season, where, Spike where, Lee like, they, they do the right thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, uh, so, you know, it's stuff, they pull off stuff like that really well. Uh, you know, they'll use a GoPro for a reason that's actually really cool in a time-lapse that sets a mood really well instead of just like, oh, we can use a GoPro, sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, they they just do, I don't know. I mean, it's it's ultimately, it, it's weird to talk about because like a lot of elements of, of the writing, it's so subdued but also so crisp. Very, but I... I would shudder to say that it's even more dense. I, I think in a lot of ways, like, you know, last episode I went out on a limb and said, I, I do feel like this show is growing to be better than Breaking Bad, but I think it's almost like a cheat that it is better, better than Breaking Bad. And it finally has found that, that, that niche, right? Because they've perfected this. They've done it. For it's over- so, it's such a specific distillation. Like they, it's, it is, they're making they're not just they're making a show they know exactly what they are making yeah they have a bible here they know what to do they they know how to to get us and um one complaint that i i've been seeing and this isn't even from like any any you know you know second wall or anybody like that like fans feel as though the show right now is uh too fan servicey and and we'll talk about that a lot more uh in this episode in particular because there is there is a huge moment in this episode that the the fan service in this episode was i mean i had no problem with it basically and it it was nowhere near the worst thing in this episode in my opinion and it wasn't and i liked you know it was egregious in that movie the fan service was you could literally count the beats. You literally knew what was going to happen. Sorry, you, I dropped you for just a second. In what movie? Uh, in El Camino. Oh yeah, it was. I would say that movie was more fan in and and we were f- both big fans of the movie, uh, but it was definitely you could have interpreted it. I think you could have a more negative spin on El Camino than you could on Better Call Saul in terms of fan service. Right. And because like you, like you said before that uh this the all the scenes of uh things we you know quote unquote didn't see uh yeah. we liked those and we thought they did them well but i think if you or i had to argue for them being bad we could even if we didn't necessarily believe it yeah but it, but it, i think it's, but, but it's a, not the case here it's an ends to a mean you know yeah. like it, it's, it's not just for nothing i think that once again uh it's all for a reason. And I think with this show, especially closing the loop between Breaking Bad and El Camino and then this, I I was excited. I popped for it. But I also was like, hmm, so this means that, you know what I'm saying? In, in, in yeah, yeah. Text. So, uh, but let's get into episode three before this, this ambulance. Look, listen, listen to this. Long Beach, right? Long Beach, right? Well, so, actually, we're, we're getting lucky because I, uh, the unit that I moved, the building that I moved into, I, I love it, but I think it's pretty old. So my bedroom window, uh, the seal on it does not drown out sound. Oh no. Uh, and well, it's fine. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not like on, nah, it's actually pretty close to Langersham, but, uh, the, um, I was already at the old place. I was close to, uh, not only the regular airport, but also the Santa Monica airport. 
and now I think I'm actually even closer to the Burbank airport. Oh, wow. That's that's pretty close then. <laughs> yeah, so I was worried about the, the planes uh, before we got started, but I don't think it's been bad. But uh, let's get into episode three, titled The Guy for This. Uh, we start off with a wonderful uh, close-up of Saul's ice cream, because the episode picks literally right up after Saul gets picked up at the end of the episode uh, two by Nacho. Uh, we, we get to the ice cream. There are ants eating it. And this shot, this scene, this is why I want to talk about the cinematography here. This scene was completely all ants. There was no CGI here. It was all practical. It was real ants. Uh, one of the production designers, I believe, uh, she tweeted earlier this week uh, that this, you know, this was the case and that, you know, they believed in, in doing it the right way. And it was slow, but they got the shot. And I think, again, it's the dedication to how Peter Gould and even Vince Gilligan, uh, how they you know, approach this show. And how do you feel about this shot, this scene? I, and, and, and I want to talk about the metaphors uh, for it, but how did you feel about this? Uh, I mean, okay, let me just say, uh, <laughs> this is insane yeah. uh, in many ways. Uh, let me just try to briefly run through like, why this is crazy. Uh, one, because it's just so great that they have been, I mean, they've been working with AMC for what, over a decade now? Over a decade, yeah. Uh, so, you know, when that happens and you are at this point, if they say like, hey, we're starting the episode with ants, think that what are they going to do? They're not going to, they're not going to do anything. You, I, I bet they are getting almost no notes on these scripts that they turn in uh, other than like maybe casting shit. Right. So that in and of itself is fantastic. Uh, I thought, I, I didn't know they were real fucking ants until you sent me the thing this morning. Yeah. But, and, and the tweet, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry for calling no, no, her. No. She's actually a writer. Uh, and Cherkis, uh, she said on the tweet, uh, episode 501, all real, no VFX. Our ant wrangler was from LA. When we finished shooting, he vacuumed them all up, doesn't harm them, and went on his merry way. Amazing. I mean, first off, I'm, like it's if you if you do anything with animals on set, you're a wrangler. That's like just the official title. <laughs> so it's amazing that even if it's ants, you're a wrangler. Uh, but I'm watching it, and it was one of those things where I mean, now I know it's a real ant, but because you're capturing something that is so small. And uh, insect movement is such a weird alien-looking thing. Uh, I was watching it just assuming it was CG. Yeah, and, and it was real ice cream too. That's yeah, just, yeah, it's, it's insane. Uh, and then by the end of it, this you know army of ants uh, is swarming on this fallen treat, uh, you know, which ultimately you know the I think there's. A, a, a million ways to look at this. Yeah. You know, what, who, 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 or what is the ice cream? Who are the ants? I think well, you could place a lot of people in those roles, depending yeah, on what you wanted to put on it. Let's lock into that. I mean, I feel as though the ice cream is, is a metaphor for, for a lot of things uh, that even happened in this episode. I think that again, there is a sense of, of these characters drowning. There's also a sense of these characters being in these types of codependent relationships with yeah. people that are, literal predators yeah uh, and, and people that use them and i mean saul it's not a coincidence that saul is wearing a color that's the same uh, a shirt that's the same color as the ice cream the yeah end. i mean you're talking he's has you know almost 50 clients now he is the ice cream cone exactly and, and the ants are the clients or even if you look at it from the sense of kim uh the ants are uh, mesa verde yeah and, yeah and, or even if you look at it from the sense of again it's 
and we'll talk about this more when we talk about the uh, the fan service uh, element of the episode, which I don't think is all, at, at this point is not really fair to call fan service because the yeah. show is technically fan service. Uh, but the you know the cone is Walter or Meth. You know, it's yeah. the, the cone can be in this universe. The cone is so many things. A lot of th- a lot of things. Um, so we start from the end of episode two. Saul is taken to Lalo. Lalo needs Saul to get to Crazy Eight and convince him to tell the, the cops uh, something in order to, to implicate Gus and to pretty much ruin Gus's operation and figure out what he's really up to. Uh, really, really tense moment here. But you get the sense that Lalo really, really likes Saul here, right? Yeah, I mean, it's Lalo is, and I forgive me, I do not know the name of the actor playing him, uh, but he's killing it. He's really good. Uh, they really needed somebody to step up, especially now that uh, uh, Don Ector is, uh, you know, immobilized. Yeah. And he's he's great. I mean, he's he's again, the show is so well made that he's he's fantastically cast. He does it really well. He looks great doing it. I mean, even down to the the thinness of his mustache. I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah, uh, it's Tony Dalton. Tony Dalton, yeah. Uh, yes, he, he's he's pretty much only been in in all Mexican features uh, for for his whole career. This is this and Sense Eight on Netflix were his first okay. two uh, American uh, shows here. And again, he, he's killing it. I and I absolutely agree. He, he has been a bright spot when he was kind of like an empty shell last season, but we yeah. didn't really get much of him. He, he showed up literally at the at the, at the end of it. Um, he basically uh, tells you know Saul to, to go in and help out Crazy Eight and, and put and puts him on retainer. Saul severely undervalues himself and his rate in this scene, only asking for seven thousand and nine hundred uh, measly dollars just for his services. Uh, and, and Lalo makes it even and gives him eight thousand. It's and great so- because Saul doesn't. Saul, I think, is kind of and he does ultimately undervalue it, but he's kind of trying to feel out the situation himself. Yeah. And then when he's like, here's eight grand in cash, uh, Saul's like, oh, okay, I'm working for a guy who just gave me eight grand in cash. Like, and it's, then it's like, oh, I'm not really in the, the position of power here whatsoever. Yeah. And, also, and he counted the money way too fast. That was 80 bills, no matter what. That was a, he would have had to count it longer. You think, have you counted $8,000, Pat? We're going to get yeah, some I worked, real I, worked, I, was a, I was a, a bank teller for a while. How was that? Uh, I, it, uh, when you're counting that much money, it, uh, it at least as an employee, it doesn't feel like uh, you're counting a bunch of money. <laughs> it because it, it, you know you're like around it all day, and there's like cameras and shit everywhere. I imagine the same thing is like true at a, a casino. I, it, the one thing it reminds me of is the scene in uh, Dodgeball, which hopefully we can do a late fees on someday, uh, but where they open the briefcase. And they're like, it's like a hundred thousand dollars or whatever. And they're like, I can assure you this has been exaggerated in film. And it's absolutely right. Like it, it's not a, a briefcase full of money. It's an incredibly small amount of, uh, of money if it's in hundred dollar bills. But, uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But, uh, enough about criminal activity. Don't touch any money. There's coronavirus all over it. Do not handle cash. Oh Lord. Okay. Moving on, moving on. Uh, speaking of criminal <laughs> activity, uh, or, or not criminal activity, we go right to Mike, uh, who is still drinking his sorrows away uh, at the bar. Uh, not much from Mike here. We get this in another scene that we're going to talk about a little bit later. But he does see 
uh, a picture of, I believe it's the Sydney, Sydney Opera House. And if you remember from last season, uh, the, the, the architect told him that his father, I believe, was, was, the, was the guy who helped create it. He yeah. asked the bartender to take the picture down. And a really, really, you know, he's very low here. And this, this, yeah. this, this has very much messed him up. Does sure. this... I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, what were you going to say? I, I was going to ask, um, since, you know, we all love Breaking Bad, I watched this, this series hundreds of times. Do you think that his feeling here uh, with Werner... Uh, kind of mirrors Jesse's feeling towards killing Gail in that Mike understands how Jesse feels about that, and that's why he takes him under his wing in season four. I have thought about that uh, same parallel, yes, uh, definitely. And I think that it does... It's a little on the nose, but it does... I mean, it's not so much on the nose that it isn't... it's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really just perspective. And I think it's very subtle. I don't I don't think I've seen a lot of people talk about it, but I think it's a under it's a understated thing that kind of puts his relationship with Jesse in perspective because yeah. now you understand why he decided to make that decision uh and, and tell Gus not to kill the kid. I will say I think Mike's storyline in this episode was the weak link. I yeah. the, the two scenes, uh, it was just to the two scenes, right? Yes, it was just two scenes. I thought they were, I didn't really think either one of them was, was very good. Uh, I thought they were, I, I, the one at the bar at least was kind of, uh, you know, it at least was kind of intense uh, and had like, again, like the opera house thing, if you know, uh, well, yeah, it was, like it, it was, it was tied to it. It was emotional, but it, it was, was a pretty flat scene. Ultimately, it was well acted from him, but they could have escalated a little better. I don't know. I, no, it, it was, it was definitely a little bit too inside baseball. Whereas, again, I had to look up what the picture was and why it was important. Yeah, I, I had. To, to, I was until the end of the scene. I was like, which one is he even talking about? Exactly, and it is a little inside baseball. And I think that it's tough for them to to really put in perspective what it was, but you know, we have to remember the last time we saw the show was like a year and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah. Which not, not a lot of people remember what happened. And and we're some of the biggest fans of this show. And I, I respect that they assume the intelligence of the viewer, or at least say like they like it enough to look it up, but, and I don't mind doing that, but there just wasn't a lot going on in the scene on top of it. Like, Mike's alone at a bar drinking and like he yells at the bartender to take down a picture. Like, okay, it's just, I don't know. It's where's the better version of it. Yeah, it is. But we get to a better scene uh, next with Nacho. We go in progress with, with Nacho who's, who's just chilling in, in his house. And there's a lot about Nacho. And I I really want to talk about him a lot because this, this episode has a lot of of, uh, stuff with him. But his life seems very, like, unfulfilling, like, in a he way, like, he hates his life, right? Like, in, in a way that makes, it mixes Jesse's emptiness with the sense that there's, like, really nothing else for him success-wise. Like, this is literally what Jesse would have ended up like. Yeah. Had he gone on and he, he stopped using the drugs and he stopped doing all that stuff. Like, this is literally the life that you, li- that you lead and he's bored just looking at one of his girlfriends put something together and, and there's really nothing else for him. And I thought that that scene was very much indicative and, and very, without saying, you know, much words as to what this lifestyle is like. Yeah. And just how, you know, what he has this now totally splintered relationship with his dad who 
is clearly like the only person he cares about. Like, well, so yeah. you know, he's he's alone. Exactly. Uh, like, speaking of his, he works for, he hates. Yeah, and speaking of his father, his father does visit the house, uh, and really cool scene of letting him in. It's almost like that that moment where it's like your parents come over and you have to be like, oh, there's there's weed on the table. Oh, okay, come in. Like, yeah, yeah. He, he didn't want his dad in there at all, but. Uh, he finds out that Nacho was attempting to buy his shop through by proxy uh, from someone else or but through someone else to get him to leave and, and, and leave town, which prompted his father to tell him to man up, uh, tell him Nacho to man up. And instead of trying to run and protect him, you know, face what you are and then face what you've done. And I think more than anything, this scene is going to be very, very poignant. And as far as like anything that happens with Nacho for the rest of this season. It's they're clearly... Now that you've said this thing about Jesse, I mean, they're clearly having him fill that role to some extent. It's cool that he kind of is operating more independently than Jesse really ever did. Yeah. And because he was not one of the, or he hasn't always been a central character to the show, uh, not that we're, I mean, we are less sympathetic for him because he's not one of the two main characters of the show, but... He, it allows us to get a totally different spin on not just the outcome of the lifestyle, but the nature of it than we did with Jesse. Right. Absolutely. Um, I, and, and again, it, it makes major implications as to uh, what Nacho thinks is going to happen. And the fact that once again, like I said earlier, these characters, they're, they're drowning and, and Nacho is drowning even more because. He's- yeah. And I mean, we, the only, I mean, we, other than Mike and Saul and Gus, we don't really even know who lives through this show yeah exactly and and how they live and, yeah. and again that raises the dread factor and including even, kim exactly like even with the characters that we know we see them in breaking bad what has changed that makes them who they are in breaking bad and again i think that when you look at saul like a lot of what we saw of him in breaking bad wasn't really him right that, that that's the care and we see this now that's not really who he was or who, who he is really he is actually super uh, pretty much a good person and, and or at least he tries to be or, or purports himself to be and he just kind of falls into this because it's the only thing that separates himself from everybody else um, next scene, very short scene uh, you see Kim uh, taking care of a pro bono uh, client which she does on her free time when she's not working with Mesa Verde because as you remember from the, from the past season it's literally the only thing she does to feel excited about her job anymore because, again, she took the corporate role and then Jimmy took the the free role. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so she she gets uh, she gets tracked down by one of the uh, the people who work for Mesa Verde. They're back again. And when I when I heard Mesa Verde, I said, "Oh no!" I know it was a Mesa Verde. God damn it! Not another Mesa Verde storyline. But uh, they're demanding her time, and she has to go talk to one of the uh, one of the people that they want to move out of the land. But then we, we skip right to jail, or rather the interrogation room, where Saul meets with Crazy Eight uh, and tells him, hey, how, are you, how good are you with memorization? And from that moment, right from commercial break, we get the return of Hank Schrader and Gomez. Gomi Gom. I, I'd be remiss to, to say that when looking at these characters and you know how their, their story ends, it is so bittersweet to see them. But I, I'll be damned That's if why I, they're doing it. Yeah, but I would be damned if I did not love their banter in their introduction. Um, 
One thing that I love about the, the show, and they did in the El Camino too, is that they don't give a damn how much these people have aged since Breaking Bad stopped. No, it's, <laughs> shit. it's, it's kind of like, honestly, it's admirable. Like, either the people who, especially because Saul at this point is such, we say this all the time, it's really like just for fans. So nobody watching this is like, they already love all this shit. They're not going to yeah. be like, fuck you, why didn't you put a, you know, why didn't you put 30 pounds of makeup on him? Like, I, I don't give a shit. Like, yeah. I, I really don't. I, I thought Gomi more than more than Hank really looked a, a lot older than he did. He had, like, uh, the old guy haircut going on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they had to do that in order to just make him look younger. Yeah. He, yeah. It's like, it, like, both makes him look older in some ways and younger in others. Right. I, I know. Yeah, it's it totally. So, uh, so they, they meet with Saul. You see them meet Saul for the first time. This is pure, pure joy seeing these, these three uh, in the room finally, because of course they're, they're ragging on his name. Like, like they're known to do and breaking bad as well. Uh, but more than any, more than anything, seeing the, again, this is, I think we said this last week, if we get a grift a week on this show, then I think I'm good on, on every single episode. Like I think I would love every single episode. And of course the grift this week, is that Saul makes Crazy Eight memorize a script, and I don't know if you noticed this, Pat, but Crazy Eight is not as good of an actor as Saul is, so he kept repeating the first line yeah, every yeah, single time. Yeah, it was hilarious. Uh, so we, we see this grift where he's basically trying to to implicate the fact that these dead drops that Saul does, that, that Gus does, and once again we have the dead drops. So this shows you the genesis of the dead drops they, that, that Gus has been doing this for a while, but now we know how they were being protected. Cause I think that was a question from Walt a long time ago in Breaking Bad was how, how are they making these dead drops and no one's being caught or, or anything like that? Because they had to have been crazy throwing them off of the path. And I think that that loop is connected and we can, we can put that away now, but we, we figure out that, that Saul is essentially putting them onto the dead drops in order to find the money so that Gus isn't implicated and his, his plan isn't foiled or his money, you know, is, is pretty much taken care of at that point. Um, how do you feel about this plan? Saul kind of makes a big, a big pitch here and it, it works, but it could have went the other way. It could have went very, very bad. I, I liked it. And I thought his performance was very good. And I thought Hank and Gomi did a really good job also in this scene. It was one of the times when I had to be like, uh, I just kind of had to sit back and be like, uh, I'll figure out what the fuck exactly is going on in a little bit here. Because I couldn't quite tell if Saul was, Jimmy was, you know, we're going to keep doing that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, if he was uh, like kind of overstepping his bounds or taking too big of a swing or not enough of a swing. I wasn't like exactly sure what they wanted him to do the first time I was watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, even with that, you're watching him do it and it's like, oh, this is a nail biter. Yeah. Like, and, and I And I think he did do too big of a swing. Because he essentially is the guy who, and I called this last episode, by the way, but he is the person who basically sets Crazy Eight as the as the CI subplot that we got or we learned in Breaking Bad season one. Yeah. Because this is how it's being used for Lalo and Gus. Lalo to one keep tabs on Gus, but Gus to also keep Lalo off of his track and to also control where the DEA goes. So Saul essentially took out two birds and one stone. Yeah, it's so prison. weird that they have set up a CI plot that is not yet throwing anyone under the bus. Exactly. And and again... That's why I was like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I thought it was 
ingenious, but also like you see Saul kind of going through the script because I think what happened with Lalo and, and Nacho in, earlier in the episode was that they wanted to they wanted Saul to figure it out any way, shape, or form. And and Nacho knew that he was the guy that could figure something out. Just give him, just trust him and let him go and let yeah. him work his magic. And he did it. And that's why they couldn't be mad at it because not only do they have a, a professional CI that lets them know what the DA is thinking and what they want and if they're one of them or not, but he also has a surveillance on Gus. And we're going to talk about that, uh, how it solves the explanation for it a little bit later. But uh, next we have uh, one of the strongest scenes on the show as far as cinematography and also acting. Rhea Seahorn, put her in more shit, people. Like, we need to see her. Yeah, she's so good. We drive to this very barren, nothing around it, strip of land where we, we meet Mr. Acker, where Kim attempts to buy out his land, which leads to a standoff with her and the elderly old man who's sitting in a lawn chair wanting to hear her out at this point. Really great scene. Yeah, really good. This guy was great. The uh, Mr. Acker. Uh, yeah, he was. He was. I think he's a famous, uh, famous actor too. I gotta look him up. Uh, I can do that yeah. as we go. But uh, yeah, I mean, the even the framing of the scene uh, was really great. I mean, she like, you know, she has to basically sprint out of court to 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 be there, and then by the end of it, she's realizing like, oh, the person I'm connecting with most here is the person I have am fucking putting a hit on. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and again it's it's really heartbreaking because kim has to essentially be the bad guy and tell this guy they're only offering the guy like eighteen thousand dollars it's nothing wow it's, it's literally nothing for for him to get out of his house that he's lived in all of his life and he's not going for it and again we're seeing a, a strange type of gentrification here where it's literally like you're just booting people out of like big strips of land here. This isn't even urban. This is literally just a neighborhood that they're yeah. trying to get. Yeah. And and again, it, it's it's like it's showing the the bad side of corporate lawyership. Really, I, she has to make these, these hard decisions. The bad side not, of what? Corporate lawyer. lawyership. They're bad. Oh no! <laughs> they never. They never be terrible. I know. Uh, she ends up banging on him and saying, "Hey, if you don't sell it by tomorrow, it's gonna you're, the, the deal's off the table." Essentially, she and, fucking uh, put the hammer on him too. Oh, very, very good, and they loved it as well uh, because, of course, Mesa Verde was standing behind her as she as she made her declaration, uh, which leads to another standoff, or not even a standoff, but another conversation, which I just talked about between Lalo and uh, and Saul. And I put on my notes, like, Lalo could have possibly just used Saul to destroy Gus. But I think Gus inadvertently kind of made a way for, for, for Gus to, to wiggle, wiggle his way out with the help of Nacho. Yeah, and I mean, now it kind of just puts Nacho in an even worse place. Yeah, because he has to make sure that Crazy Eight not only gets out free and doesn't snitch for real, but make sure that the money from the dead drops are there. Because Lalo even says it himself. He's like, why should I care about Crazy Eight if he's, if he's labeled a snitch? And Saul says it himself. He says, if Crazy Eight is labeled a snitch, you lose your CI, you lose your protection, and you lose the you lose the ability for, for these dead drops to be found. They, the money has to be found, essentially. So it's, it's basically, his hands are tied both both ways. From Gus, because he can't take the money. He can't go and, and, and kill the drops because the DEA is on him, or, or at least they think they are. And Lalo is, is able to keep tabs on him and where the dead drops are. It's really ingenious what Saul did, but it's actually in the biting him in the ass oh yeah because it's just you know 
He just has to keep lying his way out of it. Uh, but but the one thing that, that sticks with you in this scene is that uh, it's all basically saying, you know, is that it? Is it, you know, you don't need me for anything else. And Nacho saying dejectedly, you know, you don't get a choice. Once you're in, you're in. Hey, like you work for us forever. Yeah, it's over. So Saul's coming to the realization that, yeah, this is more than just phones at this point. And you see like, oh, he is in it forever because I know in Breaking Bad, he's still this guy. Exactly. This show's so good. It's so good. Um, Kim goes back to, to Mr. Ack, uh, Mr. Acker's house. She, she breaks oh, it. Mr. Acker also, he was in Northern Exposure, the TV show. He's been in a trillion movies and shows. And maybe most specifically to us, uh, when Tommy Lee Jones goes to see his uncle, who's in a wheelchair at the end of No Country for Old Men. Oh, yes. I know I've seen him. That's before. him. Okay, awesome. Um, she helps you. Well, she helps Mr. Acker try and find a new place to live. Uh, he doesn't relent, but the, but not before Kim tells a really great story about how her mom uh, and her family moved from, from house to house and they never had a house of her own. And then if she had a house, she wouldn't want to leave it either. And then Mr. Acker says, you'll just say anything to get me to do what you want. And at this point, the, the dilemma starts because, you know, with Kim, it's the same as Jimmy. Where does the grift or the slip end in my real life start? And this is essentially an example of that. Yeah, I mean, it's because now there's no, he doesn't know. Yeah, not at all. And and again, it, it's it's sad for her, which leads her to go home. And uh, she's throwing bottles off of the apartment. I mean, this is a, a dangerous activity. Uh, absolutely. But I mean, you would think that, you know, what's so crazy is it's kind of like a Pyrrhic victory for both Kim and Saul and even Nacho to a certain extent. They had great days in this episode, but they ended up defeated at the end because they're even deeper in, in what they didn't want to be in. Kim with Mesa Verde and, and really her destiny to be this lawyer because when she's in, she's in with them. She can't get away from that. Saul with essentially now the cartel, Nacho with the two families that are warring. And, and now, I mean, again, they're both under the thumb of their bosses. They are being chewed away with the ants uh, Kim and Saul, they throw the balls off of the uh, apartment complex. <laughs> People start waking up and they start to, they go back in the house and the episode ends. And it is, I mean, it's, they're it's somehow managing to undersell how sad this uh, Jimmy Kim thing is ultimately going to be for the show. Oh yeah, it is because again, some, something's going to have to break here, right? Like something is going to have to happen where these two have a difference in opinion. And with Kim, I don't know. Does she want to be slipping Kim next to Slippin' I, I think she hates it. I mean, she, like, she kind of is, she kind of likes Jimmy at the end because she's so uh, pissed, I don't know, uh, and, like, dejected from what has gone on that day. But she she hates what she does much more than Jimmy hates what he does. It seems like. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, how she got there was a slip. Was being slipping Kim. Yeah, you know, like that 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 is what landed her this job, and she definitely knows that. And I, and I think a lot of the stuff is going to get brought to light. But again, we're sitting on a powder keg with these two. I just don't know what episode is going to blow up on. Uh, we see in the next on on the the uh, next time on for next week. It's going to get real. It's going to get real real. It looks like we're gonna we're gonna have Hank and Gomi finding the dead drops. It looks as though Saul is gonna get into even deeper trouble. 
Uh, not a lot is being said, not a lot being shown, but it looks like it's going to get real next episode. I think the next, I think next episode is where these critics have seen. I think they've seen up to like episode five. I think that's so, usually what they send for like four or five. So I would imagine something big is going to happen within these next two episodes. But uh, as a whole, I really did enjoy this. As you said, I didn't even mention Mike getting into a fight. I'm so oh, sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, the scene sucked. Um, yeah, I, it, I, it's so cookie cutter. Like it was. We've seen this scene in how many things? Yeah. Like any any movie or show, whether it's good or bad. I mean, we've seen this before. I was honestly like surprised the scene was in the show because it was so uninventive. I don't think we need to see Mike being a badass. We've seen that. Yeah, I, well, it was like, well, like, what, he's drunk and like he- He's a better badass? With these yeah. guys, I don't care. Like, what, this doesn't make any sense. Why didn't they shoot him? Yeah, <laughs> why didn't they have guns, period? That was kind of weird. I feel as though they're gonna show up again, but um, we already know that. But again, like Mike is he's at plot armor. A lot of these people have plot armor. So like, we know nothing bad's gonna happen. Yeah, so. yeah. It, it was just a, it was just a weird scene altogether. But uh, once again, uh, really enjoyed this episode. Uh, other than the Mike scenes, I, I think next week should be strong. I think they do need to give Mike uh, some something to get him back into the game, and I think we might find that too. Like lots in TV where like someone is moping basically, and like like it, it's basically like a trauma story, but like it's not active. Like seeing stuff like this isn't the character really doing anything. And him like getting mad and like breaking a guy's arm isn't really doing anything. Like yeah. it's essentially like the scene, like Woody Harrelson in True Detective. He's mad and he drinks in a bar and fights a guy. Like <laughs> okay, see, we've seen it in a trillion things. Why did it happen? So uh, not, yeah, yeah, we, it was a bad scene. <laughs> it was a bad scene. You feel very strongly about this. I mean, ultimately, like who who really cares? Like it's a footnote. It was just strange. Yeah. Uh, so until next time for Recalling Saul, uh, we will be back next week. As always, follow us at RNC Radio Live for all the latest and greatest in our shows. Make sure that you follow and subscribe to us at RNC Watch. That is our new channel uh, on Apple and Spotify. Uh, of course, if you're listening to this, you, you have already found it. But please subscribe. Uh, and leave us a five-star review and leave us some comments. Let us know what you guys are, are, are loving on here. Of course, with this uh, channel, you can hear Late Fees. You can hear Overly Medicated. You can hear this show, Recalling Saul, as well as... Did I say Late Fees already? Yes, yeah, I Late Fees already. Uh, uh, so help me God when it comes back. So, so help me God when it comes back. There's going to be... A, oh, also, it's a challenge with Meals. Uh, reviewing the MTVs, the challenge will be on this show as well or on this channel as well. So make sure that you subscribe to all of us for all the the latest and greatest in TV recaps, movie recaps, all the things that you love to watch in entertainment and pop culture. It will be on RNC Radio Watch. So until then, for Pat, I am Justin. Thank you for watching Better Call Saul with us. We will see you next week. Peace.